Welcome to Ira's Everything Bagel, where I talk with intriguing people about everything, their passions, pursuits, and points of view. Here's a personal question. Are you looking for a job? My guest today has a passion for helping you find one. He's Rob Barnett, author of Next Job, Best Job, a headhunter's 11 strategies to get hired now. Available at Amazon and all the usual places. Published by Citadel Press. With roots in broadcasting, digital entertainment, and rock and roll, Rob knows firsthand the challenges of hiring and recruiting. He became a headhunter, and his book provides practical advice on how to target your search for the next job. For everything about Rob Barnett, go to Rob Barnett, that's with two T's, robbarnettmedia.com, and you can follow him on Twitter at Rob Barnett Media. And Rob, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's great to meet you. Same here. How did you get into this strange world of recruitment and executive headhunting? A total accident. If we were best friends and you said, I think this is your path, it wouldn't have sounded right to me at all. I had many, many loving, wonderful, exciting, fun lifetimes working in major media companies and as a digital entrepreneur. But in the year 2018, I woke up one day and found myself stuck. I was uh, what I called hashtag IBJA, I-B-J-A, in, in between jobs again. You got to pause before the again. And then you got to hit the again really, really well, hard. Te- because- technically, it should be I-B-J-C-A, which would be stand for in between jobs, comma, again. Or maybe dot, dot, dot. uh, Yeah. You know, look, if you decide to work in the weird and strange worlds of show business and media, then it's not unusual to be in and out and out and in again. But in 2018, I just found it a little maddening. It was going on for a little too long. And then one morning with no game plan, I grabbed my iPhone, I pressed record, and I decided to make a short little video about my predicament. I posted it on LinkedIn and Facebook first thing in the morning. And by the time it got to dinner, there were 600 lengthy comments and about 600, sorry, 16,000 views. And I, I saw that. And was taken aback. So I realized the next morning I should wake up and do it again. I did this about eight or nine days in a row. And then the end of my long story is a gentleman calls and says, I've been watching these videos every day and they're great. And I need to hire a chief operating officer. Do I have this right? You're a headhunter. And I just said, yes, <laughs> with, with no hesitation in my voice. And then I muted the phone call. And I started searching on Google for the answers to the questions that I thought would come next. And I swear to you, Ira, I swear on an everything bagel that I (laughs) I faked my way into this career. But in in all seriousness, I, I had been hiring great talent at every level it takes to run a media company for about 40 years. So it, it really hit me square in the middle of my brain that, that this was a calling that I never saw coming. Well, there's a human quality to it that you don't normally see in the world of media, which is you're actually helping people and you're helping people get jobs. And there's that personal satisfaction 
that you get as well as the financial satisfaction. That ended up becoming the beautiful, unexpected pleasure of the whole thing. I, I swear, I love what I do. You know, I, I, I felt as though there was a dire need for some people that are some of the most talented people in the history of media to have an advocate that could help them break down the doors, jump over the roadblocks and God forbid, you know, eliminate some of these HR people that <laughs> seem to get in the way between Ira's perfect job <laughs> and a whole bunch of red tape and nonsense that they put up between you and the one and only person that matters, which is the decision maker, the hiring manager. That's always been the case. I think you nailed it. The HR people are, they have a, a function, certainly in a large corporation or company, but at the same time, they can get in the way of people who have a lot to contribute to an organization and they're blocking them from reaching the decision maker. And so that's a very good point. How soon after you started this new job, which is now Headhunter, which you found out by Googling, what, they, what they, <laughs> the functions are. How soon after that did you decide to write the book? Because I read the book, and just for the record, you're not on just because you talk about having an everything bagel. That's in the book. It's in the book. It's in the book. But I wanted you to, I thought it was an apropos time to have you on because we're living in strange times. And while there are people now who don't seem to want to go back to work, that's not everybody, trust me, but there are certain people that don't want to go back to work because they're they got out of the habit or they feel that they get enough money coming in through other sources so they don't have to. But there are driven people, there are talented people that are really looking for work. And your book gives them a roadmap and not just a roadmap, but I would say a mindset on how to approach it. And that's the important thing, I would think. Thank you. Well, look, the book was as accidental and unplanned as the career as a headhunter. So I started the headhunting in 2018. The origin story about that first spontaneous little short two-minute video made me realize that I needed to make another episode every single morning. And except for a few rare days, I've almost never missed a morning. I'm up to almost 900 episodes. One day, I got a message on LinkedIn from a literary agent and I looked at it and said, well, there's only two reasons this guy is sending me a note. Either he wants his next job or my mother gets her greatest wish and he wants a book. And so it ended up being my mom's greatest wish. He said that he had watched a lot of the videos. He read up on what I was doing and thought that this was a book that needed to be written. So that, that call came in 2019. I hired a fantastic partner in crime, a lady who has been many things in her career, but as a developmental editor, Lisa Fitzpatrick is the person who really taught me how to take all of what I was trying to offer people and help people with and frame it in the kind of structure that would be needed to first create a compelling proposal that would be bought by a publisher and then ultimately help me map out 
the entire book in all of its glorious 11 chapters. Couldn't have done it without her. And she's someone I highly recommend to anybody out there who's a first author, first time author. How did you decide on 11? Was that part of a marketing strategy? 11 prescriptions versus 10 versus 9 versus 22? (laughs) (laughs) That 11 just reminds me of that typical kind of marketing decision. Although each prescription is definitely practical and very insightful, I'm just curious about how you decided that would be 11 versus 12 or 2 or 150. Yeah, there's there's two reasons uh, why the book is 11 strategies to get you hired now. One is based on one of the best, funniest movies of all time. This is Spinal Tap. And for anybody who knows that movie, you'll know why I love number 11. If you don't know this is Spinal Tap, then you should immediately stop listening to this podcast. <laughs> Delete me from all your social media. <laughs> Don't contact me ever again. <laughs> the second reason, the second reason is more mystical than comical. But if you Google 1111, you'll understand that there are some mystical, fascinating spiritual powers behind that number. And I won't take the rest of our podcast to describe them, (laughs) but there are in simple terms, a lot of folks who like sending each other text messages at either 1111 AM or 1111 PM. And it's a little secret society of people (laughs) that I like a lot. So there are your two whack-ass answers. I love it. I knew the answer, but I I wanted you to explain it in your own inimitable style. (laughs) So that works out well. Does it help to have, and I think it does, this is almost a rhetorical question, does it help to have when you start your search for this new job, and you are, as you're talking about IPJA, you're looking for a new job, does it help to have a sense of humor? Oh, my God. You know, uh, the first three chapters of this book are truthfully about the pain and suffering that so many of us go through on a job search that isn't going well or on a job search that's taking too long. You know, I've known some of the most successful and confident people in the world have that confidence severely damaged and ripped away when you're fired or job eliminated or restructured or all these other painful, horrible corporate words that all add up to screwed. So yeah, you know, finding that sense of humor, keeping it, massaging it and bringing it back at your lowest moments is definitely a piece of the puzzle when it comes to succeeding in this mad search for a job. But let's say you go for an interview. This is the part that always, I can think of two jobs I had where I kept my sense of humor under wraps till I got the job. And then I slowly let it out after the first couple of weeks once I was past that probation period. And then everybody accepted it and it was fine and dandy. Do you recommend kind of keeping it in a bottle when you're actually setting up an interview via either Zoom or in person with a, with a potential employer? Well, it's a great question. And I think that my best answer is to be yourself at all times. You know, if you're trying to be someone you're not in the process of a job interview or in the process of 
dating, <laughs> eventually the masks will come off. And you need to either at that point be in a relationship with somebody work or personal that's going to have legs and last, or the mask has come off and now you realize that it was set up on false pretenses. So look, I, I understand how awful it is to feel that you are having to perform in every job interview. But I think that the most important piece of any performance is to be yourself. You, you need to meet the people in your working life that are going to be the right partners and not fake your way into something that is going to then just come undone before you know it. That authenticity is something you stress throughout the book. I want to share with our audience one of your pieces of advice that you look at and say, of course, why didn't I think of that? And it's when you're putting your resume together, you talk about you should tighten your history. And I thought that's not only practical, it's very profound because people tend to put everything in the kitchen sink, even when no one's looking for a sink, but they put it in there. And that tightening of it really forces you to think through what you want for yourself, let alone what you're offering to a potential employer. Yes, I found early on as I needed to look at hundreds and then thousands and then badrillions of resumes. <laughs> wait, of LinkedIn. wait a minute, Your Honor. I object. I don't think that's an actual word. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait a minute. You know what? It is. Here it is. It's in Rob's yeah. book, Badrillions. There it is. Okay, sorry. Yeah. And, yeah. When I looked at cabillions of resumes <laughs> and LinkedIn, I started to see a lot of patterns. And the pattern that upset me the most, the one that I thought was holding people back more than any, is a pattern that I call butcher, baker, candlestick maker. There's a thinking that if I could bake bread, if I could make candlesticks and I can cut meat, that by showing all three of these things on a resume and a LinkedIn, maybe I've increased my odds at getting hired threefold. I have the complete opposite point of view. I think that if you're applying to a bakery, they're only interested in one thing. And the fact that you've been a butcher, you know, 16 years ago in an earlier part of your career, that's actually going to diffuse the point when you're pitching that bakery to see you as the rock star that they want. So what I say to people is, look, just because you received a paycheck from someone in 1982 doesn't mean it <laughs> needs to be on your resume in 2021. The resume should really be as focused a document as it can, pointed in the direction that we call in my book, the North Star. But if you've got a lot of left turns and right turns and earlier jobs, nothing to do with where you really want to be now, then I'm heavily recommending people delete a lot of the old twisted stuff that really doesn't need to be there anymore. The book, of course, is Next Job, Best Job, A Headhunter's 11 Strategies to Get Hired Now. And again, it's available on Amazon, at Amazon, and all the usual places. But Rob, there's always that dichotomy between the specialist, the baker, and the generalist who can do some baking, but also can do some dishwashing and can also create dishes and can also sweep the floor and can also run the operation. 
How do you thread the needle when it comes to that? Does Is it really just targeting the resume and to the potential employer and targeting that and then to a different employer, say employer B, you target it a different way? In other words, there's always that issue. I, I'm one of those types, I'm a generalist in a way, because I can do A, B, C, and D. And yes, it's probably better if I just do A, but that to me is boring. And also, I just am able to, with my skill set, do A, B, C, and D. So how do you work that? It's a great question. Look, the core principle of our book is all centered in chapter four, which we call the North Star. The masterclass we've all just come through with COVID and so many other world-threatening problems is a class called Life is Too Short. And my greatest hope is that people will take the time when you're stuck in between jobs to ask yourself the single most important question, what do I want to do the most? Then the follow-up question to that, am I truly qualified to be that person? And the third and final question you ask yourself is, will there be enough proof on my resume and my LinkedIn to convince a potential employer that I am that person? So to answer your question, I don't believe that you should go out into the marketplace with 15 different resumes for 15 different kinds of jobs. I think the decision, the power of who you're going to be, that all rests inside of yourself. So if you can figure out what the prime objective is, I believe that there's a way to write that one resume to promote that part of yourself as best as possible. It's the cover letter. This is another part of the book, but it's the cover letter that then needs to be completely customized to the needs of each individual business that you're approaching. But I don't recommend that people do 17 different resumes for 17 different kinds of jobs. I think your heads will explode. It's a profound decision to think through, as you just suggested, what do I really want to do? Life is short. At the same time, there's the human condition, which is, I'm out of a job. I need to get another job immediately. I need the money. And therefore, I'm going to fool myself into applying for jobs that I may not be appropriate for or really fuels my passion. So how do you get past that challenge? Well, it is a sad but evil truth that a company is not going to even interview a candidate who isn't checking most of the boxes, most of the requirements on that job description. It's a terrible waste of time to sit there on a job search and think that you're progressing by blindly uploading resumes to jobs that kind of sort of look interesting, where you convince yourself that you've got enough of the skills to be able to do that job. That's a failing strategy. You've got to have almost all of the skills to do a job on a job description or you're not going to get the interview. But how do you just a painful fact. But how do you conquer that fear, though? Again, from people that somebody's out of a job, their first reaction is, you talked about it earlier, it's shock because it's a whole challenge to their identity. So how do you get past that point about saying, I'm going to take anything I can get because I need 
to and and have that mindset so they go and they start applying everywhere how do you how do you talk to yourself to calm yourself down so you can say you know what let me take a moment let me do what mm-hmm. rob suggested let me find out what my best person is what my best approach is what my best skill is and and aim it that way yes well we call chapter 2 emotional rescue with love to the rolling stones and in it There are 11 survival steps that can help people get over that panicky, rushed feeling to, oh my God, I need a job immediately, right away. I watched one of my favorite old Star Trek episodes last night where they were just attacking Spock for his inability to have any human emotion. And every single time they faced a terrible stress point in this one episode, he came at it only from the place of logic and without the place of panic and fear. So I think that a job search is much more successful if you squeeze out the Captain Kirk and hold on <laughs> to the Mr. Spock. You you just you got to get that that panicky pain out of the way so that you can think logically about the fact that yes, I do need a job right away, but what is the most provable clear path to get me that paycheck? Not, quote unquote, I need something, I'll take anything. Right. That's always a challenge. I'm always surprised because in the book, you really talk a lot about using LinkedIn. And I, I have LinkedIn and I do use it, but you really recommend it as opposed to almost any other kind of social media or any other kind of website. And I was wondering why that was the case. What did you see in LinkedIn that other people don't see that seems to be very popular? And are you getting paid by them? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not being so. whatsoever. <laughs> I didn't think um, so. But we have a, there's a chapter in Next Job, Best Job. Chapter seven is called Social Voodoo. And in it, we give job seekers advice about how to use many of the different social media platforms. They've all got their own unique voice that's required. However, for a job seeker, I can't recommend LinkedIn more highly. It It is home-based for any job seeker and the place where you're going to be checked out first by any potential employer. Yes, there are many other job-seeking sites. Yes, you can, you know, tweet till your heart's content. But if somebody wants to quickly assess you professionally, my take is that you need to get LinkedIn right. And that's why we spend an extreme amount of time with so many of our job candidates, helping them rewrite their LinkedIn profile to make it as effective as possible. And we put as many of those tricks in the book so that you can steal them all, rip your <laughs> current LinkedIn digital profile to shreds and, and do it over. Do you start hearing from clients that have used LinkedIn through your direction and recommendation and counseling and have as a result been hired by companies and corporations? Oh God, every day. I mean, it, you if you're lucky you're going to get a less than 30 seconds to be judged by 
the head of a company or certainly the senior most person that's going to be hiring you. So every vowel and consonant is an important decision. When did you come to the realization that that was, going back to LinkedIn again, when did you come to the realization that that was the, the key? There are others, but that was the key one to use for a job search. Well, it just happens through experience, right? I'm so old. I'm old <laughs> so old that a lot of the people that I've worked with, worked for, and some of the folks that have worked for me over the years are today the presidents and CEOs of many of the most powerful companies in media. And I'm telling you from experience that this is the place that you will be checked out. Even before somebody sends you the resume, they'll say, well, Ira, who the heck is he? Let me go look. You know? <laughs> and then I'll see some strange stuff on my sites or on my <laughs> LinkedIn profile. I actually changed one or two of my little things on LinkedIn based on reading your book. So, And I wasn't looking for a go. job, but I just did it because I thought, well, you know what? Why, why not make this more efficient and more effective? Bingo. Yeah. No, no, it works. Are you going to be doing a sequel to this book? Have you thought about that already or is it too soon? Uh, no, it's not too soon. In order to sell the first book, they always ask you what the next one's about. And I have a point of view about that book, and I won't give it all away, but I'll just say that one thing that most people can agree with in the working world is a sad thing. Most bosses suck. <laughs> And I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> I'm, I'm prepping a book about the B-O-S-S's in our lives. And they take all forms, don't they? It's not just in the workplace. It could be in other areas as well. There's a mentality, though, isn't it? Isn't that what yeah. the issue is, a mentality or a boss mentality? Well, look, I, uh, I think that many of us have some painful, horrible war stories about working for some of the toughest people imaginable, the second part of that book will be about the great ones. Good. So you're balancing it out. Before I let you go, if I had to look for the most important piece of advice from you based on the book, what is that one piece of advice? Of all the things I wrote about in this book, the one thing that's been working best to get people hired fastest is the realization that in the process of getting a job, you've got to prove to the company that you're more concerned about the present and future of who they are and what they're doing than you should be about telling your favorite greatest hits from 23 years ago in your career. This is a mistake that I have made for decades and one that I'm now dedicated to correcting. I had a candidate just this morning write a first cover letter for an open job that was filled with specifics about the company that she's applying to. It had ideas. It had feedback. It had constructive criticism. And it also had a little bit about what she's done in the past. I sent it to the CEO of the company in question just a few hours ago. And within 20 minutes, the email came back. Yes, I'd like to interview her first thing next week. This works. 
Because what most people do in a cover letter is say, I'd be thrilled to work for Ira. I have 15 years of experience and a proven track record of success. And guess what I'm great at? Oral and written communication skills and all this cover letter blah, blah that people do instead of taking the time to listen to five of your previous episodes to understand who you are and what you're about. It's so freaking simple, Ira, but 90% of the people forget to do it. I've been on both sides of the desk, and I absolutely agree with you that people come in that they want a job, they know nothing about the company. All they had to do, and here's the key word, research. All yes. they had to do is research the company, and there's a lot of ways to do it, not only online. You can go and walk around the property if it's a property, get a sense of the thing, get a sense of the operation, get a sense of their history. And that makes so much more of an impact on a potential employer than just coming in saying, well, I, I've done all this stuff, and therefore you should hire me. Couldn't well, agree more. Well, that's a great way to leave it. My guest has been Rob Barnett. He's author of Next Job, Best Job, a Headhunter's 11, count them, 11 strategies to get hired now, published by Citadel Press, available at Amazon and all the usual places. For everything about Rob Barnett. You can go to robbarnettmedia.com and you can follow him on Twitter at Rob Barnett Media. Rob, thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much. Great conversation. Thanks. And join us every Thursday for a new schmear on Ira's Everything Bagel.